Welcome to another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me as always is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? I'm doing great, Jody. How about yourself? I got a good, solid 90 minutes, I believe it was, of awesome powder skiing this morning. First tracks on two runs, face shots, knee-deep powder, nice, light, and fluffy, unlike yesterday morning, which was heavy and wet. So we've had a lot of snow lately. It was great this morning. I am really, really jealous right now because it's been decades since I did some powder skiing. (laughs) Been doing a lot of it this year. It's been almost every week, even Uh, several days in a row. Okay, I don't want to talk about that anymore. Let's talk about something else. All right, what are we talking about today then? Well, we're doing a little bit of a companion piece to last week's episode. Ooh, where we talked about we talked about uh, reference mixes uh-huh. as we're mixing. Right. Another thing that we can use references for is during the writing stage and production. However, you want to call it, like if you're producing your tracks or if you're just writing your tracks, so you're putting your tracks together to use references to help with inspiration when we're doing that. So that's what we're talking about. We're kind of covering a pretty wide ground here because some people don't do much writing, I would think, if they're just producers or if they're just recording engineers. And there are those who are more the artist types who probably don't do a lot of production. So this kind of goes hand in hand. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, and if you're one of those guys, like both you and I are, that wear a bunch of different hats where you do all of that. so From time to time. From time to time, indeed. So I think it's apropos. All right. I kind of hinted at inspiration, but we'll leave that to a little bit later. I think first, you know, why would you want to do this is the first question. Why would you use a reference point when you're just sitting down and starting writing? Learn to learn. To learn inspiration. To clarify or dig down a little bit more into that would be, let's say that you're tasked to write a song or you want to write a song in a style that you're either not that familiar with, or you just need some new inspiration. Mm -hmm. It is a good source to listen to other tracks that are in that style that are either successful or that you just plain like. And learning how to write a track in that style and how to make it big and glorious and have all the (laughs) elements of of a successful and good-sounding track that we want in our own. Sure. I'll go a step further. If you are producing an artist that is in a genre that is outside your wheelhouse, and you may or may not be writing with them, getting them to give you the references of where they're coming from also helps you get into the right mindset for working with said artist. Absolutely. And getting under the hood of what makes that genre or style of music tick. What is it that actually drives that and makes that? Because Today in the musical landscape, there's so many sub-genres, right? People have all these things that, well, it's not trap unless it has this or it isn't whatever, right? There's all those things. So Snobs. (laughs) I would agree with you because ultimately it's just music. If it is a specific thing that is appealing to this artist or that you're emulating or you're trying to do, It's good to be knowledgeable about those things. Very knowledgeable. And sometimes even though you're taking that for the knowledge that it's supposed to be with these references, one thing that I've done is use that as the source of inspiration for what you're writing with the artist. Totally. 
going to go back and, and rewind the tape here a little bit until, let's say, the 90s. Ooh. When, at least to me, that's where things like hip-hop and rap was really starting to become mainstream. Mm-hmm. And then you saw some production techniques that were prominent in those genres kind of bleed into more pop stuff, right? We sure. see that th- there was a lot of use of sampling and loops and things like that that started to come up in other genres as well. It can inform and inspire future productions as taking these elements and, like you said, have it as an inspiration and making it into something new, perhaps. All of these things we're, we're, we can pull from are, are only good in my opinion. Well, they can be only good. We'll cross that bridge later. That's right. right. <laughs> yeah. So my question to you then, that what is the first thing or, or a couple of things that you would seek to emulate when you're doing this? The very first thing I do is I count out and think about the song structure. Mm. Figuring out, do they have an intro? Is it opening with a chorus? Is it a specific songwriting structure like A, B, A, B, A? Or is it more verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus? Or does it have a pre-chorus in there? Those are all things that you need to figure out. And song structure, with the Beatles, it was quite simplistic. When they first were kicking out tunes, they were A, B, A, B, A, and they were done. And then as they became more popular and as things happen over time, simple modulates into more and more complex. And if we take it to the point of, say, Sia from the Beatles, Mm -hmm. so to speak, to Sia, Sia writes extremely complicated song structures quite often, but they are absolutely amazing. Yeah. It's a cycle that happens. Now we've got so many things going on in music. What are you attempting to emulate? Song structure is a good one because that gives you the roadmap to fill everything else in. Absolutely. Absolutely. When you're speaking of song structure here, first thought that came to my mind is that you mentioned Sia. There's obviously modern artists that that are using a lot of different song structures and advanced structures. If you listen to a lot of pop music today, Mm -hmm. a lot of chord progressions and things can remain relatively static or sometimes really static through the whole song. (laughs) The same chord progression for the entire song. That's super static. Right. But then it comes down to different arrangement ideas or or Mm -hmm. not even modulations, but like, okay, well, the the synth bass is taking over here or whatever. The lead vocal is dropping out, whatever it is to to keep it interesting. Right. But adding and subtracting pieces and parts around that chord progression. Right, and that sort of propels it forward. So there's something that we can learn from that as well. Um, That's more of the arrangement of the song structure. Yeah, and we'll dive into that in a second here, I think. But I wanted to also ask like your opinion, because it's very easy for people to go and they look at, ah, oh, current pop music is just crap, and it's simplistic, and it's this and that. Mm-hmm. And I wonder— I disagree. Yeah, I'm I'm more on your side on that. But one thing that I wanted to bring up here is like, because like you said, it's a popular thing to do. It's like, oh, it's just this and 
music was so much better when I was a kid, right? That's everybody's <laughs> reference, right? But I wonder how much of that is sort of self-serving when it comes to writing songs that, okay, well, this structure is popular now, so I'm going to do that. And then the the listeners, the current listeners get used to hearing that. So we like to think, well, things have to be really simple or it won't be successful versus do you think it's just that we don't give the audience the option really of having more advanced structures well, I think perhaps there's plenty of option it's not whether it's a singular artist providing whatever option that you're talking about i think it comes down to niche instead of broad because there's so many artists out there now doing so yeah. many different things that anybody could find an audience it's just can you find your audience? But in that regard, I think the rise of why singular static chord progressions really came into play has more to do with solo artists and looping pedals. Well, that's a good point. And because yeah. once you start changing song structure or changing chord progressions, looping pedals become more difficult to deal with. <laughs> yeah, so you think this is essentially a... I think it's a in live performance technology that that sort of drives that or during the creation process, maybe. I think it's a creative thing. And it's not to say that it becomes boring because Prince can make a single chord sound freaking amazing. Yeah. At least he did to being able to just pull things in and out of just a singular chord with a melody. If you can keep it that simple and just keep people on the edge of their seat, brilliant. That's awesome. Because then right. you got the complete opposite of all that, where you've got guys like Herbie Hancock, who have just the most insanely complex chord progressions to make up their songs. <laughs> and so it depends on where you are creatively as an artist. And I think for a lot of people, it's a lot easier to keep it simple. It doesn't mean that they're doing it well. It just means it's easier to keep it simple. Yeah. And, and probably... It's an easy target. The advent of the DAW. They just thought, okay, that was eight bars. Okay, that that's cool. Let's loop that again and again. Right. But that's not necessarily like we're going off a little bit on the on the tangent here with, with that. Well, additional Arrange things to like emulate here in terms yeah. of listening to your reference becomes production candy, as some right. people would call it, beyond the arrangement, beyond the song structure. And right. production candy becomes the little pieces, parts that you can throw in there to add additional interest to the song at a given moment. Yeah. Those are things that, well, I know both you and I share this view, or I think I can speak for you, is that those are just little things that you might not necessarily think about the first listen of the song, but it's like when you put your headphones on and you've got Oh, I never heard that before. Did you hear right. that little glockenspiel going on, duplicating that keyboard melody or whatever? Right. And it, those are things that could just put that little extra icing on the cake and keep the listener's interest as well as it's moving on along the song, uh -huh. even if they're not super aware of it. I want to go back to some of the arrangement ideas here as well before we move on too quickly. We talked about the song structure, right? Right. But then also... How is the song arranged? It could even be things like, are the lead vocals, or is the lead vocal doubled? Uh -huh. uh, just things like that. How are they panned? How is 
the synth loop playing through the entire song? Is it dropping out? Is it doing all those interest capturing things that we talked about if you have like a simpler structure right. to kind of propel forward? Doing really nerdy stuff and just like listening and just writing all that out, things that you notice, then you have a framework that you can kind of do that with. So, right. Th and going back to I'm your like first that. question is like, what's the yeah. first thing I do? I'm figuring out the song structure that I'm going after. Yeah. And I'm counting out bars. Is there an odd measure somewhere? Mm -hmm. And that's an interesting one. I yep. believe we've spoken about this previously on an, uh, other episodes of the podcast in that there are some hit songwriters who have determined that all their hits have one odd measure in them somewhere. Yeah, I remember you telling me that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's an interesting idea to do the same thing for yourself. But then that starts to complicate stuff. And do you want to be complicated in that regard? If you're a solo artist who's playing with a looping pedal, chances are you're not going to add an odd measure somewhere because that's going to throw your entire looping system out of whack. Yeah, it could certainly do that. And then, of course, just like anything else, it's like, don't be a slave to that. I have to have a, an odd barrier somewhere. But if that doesn't really work for your arrangement, then don't do it for that sake. It has to serve a purpose. Mm -hmm. So a, a easy targets for those would be like perhaps breakdown before you come into the last chorus again. Like add that instead of having a bar of four, four, have a bar of five or seven or something that it's like, oh, what's really going on here? You know, it just feels weird. Right. But as long as it's working, it's a, it's a good thing to do. It's a good idea. Some of those things are easy to emulate. I brought up the example of Sia and the mm -hmm. fact that she has complicated song structures. And I recall being at a songwriter's night one night where someone was actually tearing apart one of her songs to teach it to other people. The problem with how that person was doing it, they were oversimplifying the situation on something that glossed over very relevant changes that happened in the song. And the song that I'm thinking of, I'm not going to name it, had two different kinds of verses. Okay. And I would term the first one, the verse, and then I would term the second one, verse prime, because they were both verses, but they were substantially different from each other. And it wasn't a pre-chorus and it wasn't a chorus. And she does things like that that are really, really cool where hmm. every part to the song becomes its own entity all by itself, but they string together extremely well. Yeah, that's interesting. I, uh, when you're explaining that, it just popped into my mind David Bowie's Space Oddity, mm -hmm. where it sort of has several verses, but they're different from each other. Yes. So it's interesting how just some of the core changes that he would come up with that just shouldn't work, but they do, you know, it, well, it's kind of It's crazy, not just so. the chord progression, it's the melody that ties it together as well. Of course. So yeah, so obviously the, the melody will be the, the deciding factor there that kind of, as long as that works, everything else will be just fine. And other things that are just fine is us taking a quick break for a word from our sponsors. And we're back. We're going to continue on talking about using these reference tracks for inspo, for production and writing. But what we're going to delve into now is what not to emulate at this point. What's the first thing that you think of, Chris, not to emulate? 
distinct melody lines. That's a good one. Yeah. Mainly because it's a copyright issue right there. Yeah, because it tends to get lawyers involved. That's right. Um, And you don't want lawyers involved in your music other than collect my money, bastard. Yeah, if somebody's ripped off your melody line, then you're the one that's lawyering up. It's just a bad idea. We can obviously look for inspiration in things like, oh, I I like how it has a climbing melody or whatever, Mm -hmm. or things, movements, general movements, that's kind of cool. But if you're blatantly ripping a melody off. Tick-tock, (laughs) tick-tock. It's only a matter of time (laughs) before somebody comes after you. And this can be kind of a, a sticky one too, because sometimes we might not realize that we're doing it. Yes. Where it's just because we consume music and... Or you just, just hear it somewhere in the back of your head as like Muzak in yeah. a grocery store or on an elevator or some other place. Yeah. But that's a scary one. And this happens to everybody. You yes, know, it does. I, I think we do that. I mean, there's stories about the Stones. This is actually an example that Keith Richards talks about in his book hmm. where... He's working on the latest Stone song, right? And I'm, I believe this was in the 90s sometime. And his daughter goes, oh, I didn't know you were doing that Katie Lang song. And he's like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Right. And again, one of those things where Mick had subconsciously picked up on a song that he'd heard a Katie Lang song and just come up with this melody, which turns out to be so identical that they actually – they had the song recorded and stuff. They just gave her songwriting credit on well, the song. Well, that's good. And yeah. that's a wise well, choice to do that until you, sure. before getting sued, if you've actually ripped off somebody's melody, whether it was intentional or not, and it's already out, you need to make amends immediately before lawyers start coming after you. And there are yeah. numerous cases of that happening. I have a friend who wrote a song with another guy who has written a fair amount of hits Snoop Dogg went and sampled that song. Mm. Didn't get clearance. Oops. Yes. Record's already out. Guess who got a whole lot of money because that (laughs) song got sampled without clearance. Right. Friend of mine. Now, in a personal experience, I had a friend of mine come to me. Can you help me with this song? Mm -hmm. Sure. He plays it for me. Dude, you can't use that melody. Why not? Well, that's Avril Lavigne's Complicated. Oh. <laughs> Same melody. Yeah. I mean, she's going to win. <laughs> she's going to win on that because it's been around a lot longer. Oh, right. well, can you help me rewrite it? Sure. So we rewrote it. And then it became a kind of not necessarily a hit in its own right, but it definitely did very well in the production music world. And that's a lovely thing. Yeah. But it took a rewrite and it took somebody else coming in and saying, hey, I've not dealt with ripping somebody else's melody off mostly because I feel like I'm a bit of an encyclopedia of melodies <laughs> and I'm pretty good at realizing when a melody is too similar to something else, but it does happen. Be careful not to do that and don't do it on purpose. Yes. That's I mean, the that's the big thing. one. If we don't realize it and nobody calls us out on it, there's nothing we can do about it. That right. just happens. Right. But melodies, distinct melodies, and this could of course be the same thing, whether it's an instrumental melody or whatever. Right. So if it's- Because there's you know, a case in point there with what you just said, Coldplay ripping yeah, off the a Joe, Joe Satriani. Satriani song. And yeah. they even admitted they were big fans of Joe Satriani. And it's kind of like, whoops. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what happened to that. Do you know what, what I think the they results settled. were on that? I think they yeah. settled. Much like the Sam Smith thing. And that's one that kind of gets you where it's like, wait a second. Sam Smith writes this song. It's not even really vaguely reminiscent of a Tom Petty thing, but he ends up giving Tom Petty some of the songwriting credit so he gets some of the royalties. And the crazy thing about this, and I think Tom Petty was a great artist, but Tom Petty was notorious for ripping other people off. <laughs> Just yeah, that was another example that I heard. I was like, oh, I, I, you're kind of stretching what, what's, you know, ripping off here. Uh, well, and where it's starting but, to get into really murky territory today is the idea of copywriting a vibe. Because you can't do that. Mm, but yeah. the infamous Pharrell Robin Williams track that was inspired by a Marvin Gaye tune. They got mm -hmm. sued. Yeah. And it's, they I were, got that. sued over the vibe. And it's like, that's fucking scary because Marvin Gaye's family won. Yeah. That's, see, when you get cases like that, when they set a precedent, it's like, that, it's that's super not scary. No, it's yeah. terrible because what is copyrightable is your melody. And yeah, your words. harmony and melody. Your right? harmony yeah. and your melody. Now, on the rare occasion, and we're delving into what not to emulate here, very distinct chord progressions yeah. are things that you should not recreate because right. of but, things but, like Herbie Hancock. His chord voicings and the way he would dress them were so distinct that if you did the same thing, you were literally stealing but other yeah, things it where it's like a standard chord progression where it's without distinct voicings and without distinct things to them, that's a typical type of chord progression in a sense. And the most yeah. typical, one, four, five. I mean, sure. rock and roll dealt with that for eons now, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> it's like five million blues players are suing each other, you know? Yeah. Um, the best way possibly to think about that would be just how you're dealing with voice leading. And like you said, how your, your chord inversions and everything, if that is like really distinct, let's say, for example, like the intro to Stairway to Heaven, which mm -hmm. they actually ended up getting sued for. I think they won. Well, they but did because it was a very similar chord progression to an extent, but the way they did it was different. Yeah. So, so but, but that's when you can get into trouble. Like any song, it's like, okay, Let's say that there's not an 80s rock song that doesn't go A minor, F, C, and G, right? <laughs> Just like every song ever. So those things you can't copyright. But and on a how very you do them rare occasion, you can actually copyright a drum groove. You take something like Walk This Way. That yeah. is super distinct. If you right. go and use that and write a song around that, I have the feeling you're going to lose that copyright case that was a big thing with james brown wasn't it because his drama was one of the most like sampled grooves ever and Probably. used in like early uh, rap and hip-hop so it's like you just if you're doing that if you go on that well, you don't route, want to sample it but right my point being is that somebody could come along and you could play the drum groove to walk this way yeah. that's pretty distinctive right much like rosanna from toto yeah. And that's a drum groove that every drummer probably tries to learn because Jeff Picaro just right. killed it on that groove. But yeah. that groove is so distinctive for that particular song. You really don't want to steal it. 
Yeah. Emulate, don't steal. That's uh, right. Then another, now we would have to talk about hours about this, mm-hmm. but when it comes to distinct melodies and things, this gets even murkier, I think, when there's services out now, of course, when we like sample libraries and things like Splice. Right. Right. When you base your song off a sample, who owns that? Right. And then potentially it could be a million other artists that are using the same thing in their song as the basis of their song. Yep. Anyway, yeah, we'll, we'll close the door on that one. <laughs> but, but, that, but, but that's what, when it gets really, really murky. I'd say to sort of round off the, the topic here is all these warning signs about ripping off, but that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is how to learn either a production style or a writing style and using that to inform your productions and also ideally as inspiration for something. Right. With that, let's move on to our Friday finds. Chris, since you haven't found powder recently, what have you found? I have found something that this is going to sound just like an ad. I guess most of these (laughs) sound like an ad anyway. But I thought it was so cool. I am a big fan of Plugin Alliance. Yes, you are. And all their gear and their console emulations and stuff. Dirk Ulrich, the founder and owner of Plugin Alliance, mm-hmm. he's now on the board of, what is it, Soundworks, the, the big merger that they had recently. Yes. So so he's leaving his post at Plugin Alliance. And if you're listening to this on the week that this is coming out, I hope you are. If not, you're going to kick yourself. But they're running a sale right now, and they're giving you four plugins that are made by Brainworks for $49.99. Woo! You know, you and I have to, that is a steal because they have what? They have all the SSL emulations on well, the they consoles. Have amp emulations. The Neve, they have all, well, they the got all console that. emulations. But, There's all kinds. But let's say that you're Wait, 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 up. wait. You're saying you can get a console emulation and four of them for 49 bucks? That's what I'm saying. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> so if you hadn't stocked up on Sorry. your Neves, on your SSLs or your... I'm not sure if they're the ones that made the API, but they have the AMIC, they have the focus, right? If you're curious about this, this is probably a good time to do that because now you can get four of them for 50 bucks. Not each, 50 bucks total. Four for the price of less than one. So that had to be my sort of find for this Friday, but you're right. That yeah. does you sound know, like an advertisement. <laughs> I know, I know, but it's like they're so good. But if you're listening to this in February, I'm sorry. Yeah, oh, well. you're, you're, yeah. There you go. What about you? What do you got for us? I'm going with metal and guitar players this week. That's unlike you. Not the guitar player, but the metal. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Peavy is. Yeah doing a new version of one of their old high-gain amps. And I'm not exactly sure what model it's modeling, but it is known now what they're releasing as the 6505 Mark II, yeah, which is a high-gain amp of some sort. So if you are in to very high-gain guitar sounds, you got a new brother on the block to go check nice. out. The PV65 052. 
Sweet. Yes. While we've got your attention, we ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. Doing so will get you weekly reminders about the Tuesday tips when they come out, and we'll make sure you don't miss any future episodes of this lovely podcast. Send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com with the word references, and you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic or suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode with that i'll say see you next week thanks for listening everybody i'll talk to you later jody 